Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. It's our match day 8 recap that's also broadcast on Series XMFC 157. I'm your host Jim McTeer and we're going to start off with the La Liga leaders. That's Real Madrid. They're the only undefeated team left in the league and went into the international break with Zinedine Zidane's side on 18 points and with Barcelona in second on 16. Already the Clásico on October 26th is shaping up to be a special one. Real Madrid won 4-2 against Granada on Saturday afternoon, a match that they were absolutely dominating. For the fifth time this season, Karim Benzema scored the goal that made it 1-0 and Real Madrid were on cruise control at 3-0 after his opener and goals from Hazard and Modric, each of them beautiful in their own way. But too quick, Granada goals made it a nervy finish at the Bernabeu. That was until James Rodriguez popped up with a late fourth. Here's what Eden Hazard told BN Sports about his goal and the nervy finish. As you can see on my face, I'm happy, you know, uh, happy with the goal, happy with the win. Um, everything was not perfect today, but I think we did the right job. The only problem is when we concede a goal, we go all a little bit down, you know. Uh, we don't play with confidence anymore, but then at the end, you know, we finish well. Uh, James scored a great goal, so everything was okay. The standout player for me and for most of the Madrid-based media, though, wasn't one of the goal scorers or one of the Galacticos. Sorry, Eden. For me, it was Fede Valverde, the hard-working Uruguayan midfielder. A modern midfielder, is how Zidane described him afterwards, highlighting his box-to-box nature and ability to contribute as much in defence as in attack. Valverde is an absolute stud and we should see a lot more of him in the coming weeks, especially with Tony Cruz picking up an injury, with Casemiro just one booking away from suspension and with Luka Modric unable to play 90 minutes every week. Let's now talk about one of the other informed teams of La Liga, and that's Osasuna. They've only lost once this season to go with two wins and five draws, and their second win of the campaign came on Saturday night as they hosted and defeated Villarreal 2-1. Villarreal lost because they were playing in the Mount Doom of La Liga, in a stadium that nobody dares visit if they can avoid it. They were playing at El Sadar, where Osasuna have now gone 29 league matches undefeated. Let's speak to Osasuna fan Nacho Torney, better known to you, me and everyone as Nacho Groundhopper about the newly promoted team from Pamplona and their excellent start to the season. So Nacho, there's obviously a reason Osasuna haven't lost in 29 league games at El Sadar. Can you tell us about the atmosphere and support there? So basically the atmosphere in El Sadar, it's unique in terms that um, it's a very British atmosphere so basically um, the the fans are just behind you as a player I mean the, the stadium is packed it's like a little chocolate box the La Bombonera del Norte you know so um, it's very noisy and the fans of Osasuna are really passionate because it's a single fact that in, in Pamplona people support local team, they support Osasuna. So it's not a question about Real Madrid or Barca, it's just their people support Osasuna. For that reason Osasuna is very unique and the people from Navarra and Pamplona are very passionate for everything. And if we talk about football, they are really, really, really brave. 
It's 11 points from 8 matches for Osasuna. That's better than expectations, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, mainly because we are a newly promoted team. So when you come from second division and, and you play again because Osasuna during last 20 years has been a, a, a traditional team from first division. So you are a bit confident because you know that um, behind you is there is El Sadar and, and, and also the fans. But also the performance from second division last year it was fantastic, it was brilliant. So Osasuna is uh, a team very well designed by Arrasate. There are kind of players that born and bred in Navarra, in, in Osasuna um, lower teams. And at the same time you have players with experience and also with the ambition to make something big and, and, and positive in, in Primera División. It was Jimmy Avila who scored the winner for them against Villarreal. What does he bring to this team? In Pamplona, people like this kind of players. Basically, a player with uh, a brave player fight during the whole game. And well, Jimmy Davila, I have good friends from San Lorenzo and he has uh, quite funny stories. And he's from Rosario, so in Rosario also it's the place to born if you want to become a footballer, you know. So um, it's like a cradle for footballers in Argentina. I think he will be fantastic. He will be one of the main idols in Inner Sadar for Osasuna fans. <laughs> Let's check in on the latest happenings in Valencia land with Paco Pollitt. At the fourth attempt, Albert Slade has got his first home victory since taking over from the sacked Marcelino, but all is not well at Mestalla. They only narrowly defeated Alaves 2-1 and didn't look too impressive, while the crowd spent most of the match protesting against owner Peter Lim and president Anil Murti. Even the floodlights went out at one point at Mestalla, somewhat metaphorically. This just wasn't very convincing, was it? Let's get this out of the way. The game wasn't a memorable one, not by a long shot. Valencia have played seven games in 21 days and you could notice the stress and the sluggishness in most of the first half. Parejo didn't look good, Rodrigo didn't look good, the defense didn't look good, especially in the second half. The only highlight of the game was a monster performance by Francis Coughlin, who seems to be like that Duracell bunny which became pretty famous many years ago. He was intense, he was tough, he single-handedly held together Valencia's midfield. And we also have to speak about the tactics and the style. Even though the team won the game, Valencia still don't find themselves comfortable under the new Celades game plan. You said there that Valencia's performance looked sluggish. Danny Parejo said after the game as well that there wasn't much rest after the Champions League match. Will the European matches be a problem for this squad? Yeah, we should consider that the physical level of the team was always going to suffer after the former coach Marcelino was sacked because he had a physical plan and people executing it, whereas Celades has brought in some staff of his own. Therefore, the players are now in a transition period while playing a game every three days. Um, Parejo's performance against Alaves was the example of what happens when you overplay a midfielder. And even in his lowest physical point, he managed to be crucial in 
both goals. European games can't be a problem because Valencia have indeed a Champions League squad or at least that was the plan the last summer. But again, you already know what happened last summer. The inner turmoil, Valencia's owner freaking out, uh, sacking Marcelino and several key transfers as another offensive midfielder or a high-level winger which weren't actually pursued. Again, this two-week rest will be very well received by the players. There was a much-needed goal for Maxi Gomez. Do you think he'll become the starter up front for Valencia or will Kevin Gamero be the starting number nine when he returns from injury? I think Maxi has had a rough time adapting to the demands of a big team like Valencia. The style is different than the one he knew from Celta. He has found players like Rodrigo, for example, who you have to really understand on the pitch in order to work together. But he's getting there. Maxi has already scored four this year and is becoming increasingly important within the team. Gamero's injury sure has sped up the process, so it will be interesting to know how Celades decides to blend and combine these three strikers, which are very very different from each other, once the three of them obviously are available for the coach. And what did you think about Alaves? They actually looked quite good, I thought. They definitely didn't look as bottom-of-the-league players, but again, you could say the same about Leganes, for example. Alaves maybe didn't do enough to take away at least one point, but they delivered a decent performance. I particularly enjoyed seeing Lucas Perez on the pitch, as he has been a target for Valencia in the past, and he showed that he oozes quality. Just look at the way he finished his goal and sent the game into a very tense final minute. Overall, Alaves are within the bottom five teams, and that means that whatever they're doing, it's not enough at this point. Cheers, Paco. Alaves will be an interesting case going forward because they were a clear relegation candidate for many, yet they're currently outside the drop zone. Inside the bottom three, we still have Real Mallorca, even though they got a much-needed 2-0 win over Espanyol with goals from Andy Budimir and Salva Sevilla. That saw them leapfrog the struggling Catalan side, who are still doing well in Europa League, by the way. So at the bottom, it's Real Mallorca in 18th on 7 points, Espanyol in 19th on 5 points, and Leganes at the bottom still on 2 points. But Leganes are furious after this weekend's match. They hosted Levante and I went along to this one, and after an opening 40 minutes that were genuinely more boring than the train ride to the stadium, we got some really big drama and controversy. Levante were awarded a penalty for a fill that took place outside the box. They scored and went on to win 2-1, with just 5 shots compared to the 22 of Leganes. But Leganes claimed after the match that the VAR equipment wasn't working properly at the moment of that penalty call, and they've demanded that the match be replayed from the minute of the incident. The referees committee deny this, but there is some footage of the fourth official using a mobile phone seemingly to try to communicate with the VAR guys. It was all a bit of a mess, and it's worth keeping an eye on the fallout. The match won't be replayed, I can tell you that right now. But it was a real moment of drama in this La Liga weekend. And La Liga weekend, we've still got lots of talking points to get through, which we'll do in part two after this short pause. Back to this episode of La Liga Lowdown, let's get stuck in to the party dance of the weekend, the big Sunday night match between Barcelona and Sevilla at the Camp Nou. Barcelona had four goals and two red cards, with Luis Suarez, Arturo Vidal, 
Usman Dembele and Lionel Messi, his first of the season by the way, getting the goals and Dembele, Ronald Araujo both being sent off late on. Let's bring in Roman de Arcaire to talk through this one. And Roman, were you surprised at how comfortable this win was for Barcelona? I know they always thrash Sevilla at home, but this was surprising to me. Well, yes and no, I'd say. Um, Sevilla have proved to be a very good team so far this season, so of course you don't expect um, Barca to thrash them easily, as we saw in the end. But, as you mentioned before, historically Sevilla have struggled against Barcelona. There have been very big results in favour of Barca in, in many occasions. And also, as we may remember for, from past season, Lopetegui had a really tough time with Real Madrid visiting at the Camp Nou. So those are two examples which um, aren't really favourable for Sevilla. But again, during the game when I was watching you got the feeling that Sevilla were creating a lot of danger at the beginning. They had a few really good chances. They could have gone up 1-0, 2-0. So things changed completely once Barca got the first goal. So I think that was the main problem for Sevilla. Not scoring earlier on and not making the most of their chances. Should we stop criticising Luis Suarez? Every time he's criticised, he then goes on a run of scoring like four goals in a week, as he has just done this past week. Well, I mean, criticising is part of the game, I guess. Uh, players are always... Um, under the spotlight and if they're not doing well, especially players like Suarez who are expected to deliver game after game at a very high level, this happens. But I already like mentioned previously that I have a feeling that Suarez is going to do better this year and so far he's proving me right. He's scoring lots of goals, he's scoring great goals as a matter of fact. I mean, that overhead kick was amazing, he scored against Inter Milan, also a lovely volley. So I mean, Suarez is, is, is getting the goals Barca expect from him. And at the moment, there is no reason to keep criticising him because he's doing really well now. We should certainly never criticise Messi, who got his first goal of the season with a trademark free kick. How does he look to you? 100% fit yet? I'd probably go for about 75%. I think today he was way better than against uh, Inter de Milan, where you could tell he was still very um, physically weak or tired. We could say he wasn't reaching uh, lots of balls he usually gets to. Also, he was walking a lot, not defending as much. And today I think he was more participative in attack especially. He was getting the ball on his own and trying to get past defenders. He was way more active and, and he looks like he's getting better. He's getting to his usual level. So hopefully in a few games he'll be back to the usual Messi. Ronald Araujo came on at centre-back for his debut. He only lasted 13 minutes before his red card. How do you evaluate this debut and do you think it should have been a red card? There, there is a pull there, but I mean, come on, you need much more. It looks like Chicharito loses his balance more than anything else. But uh, Araujo did look solid the few minutes he was there. Although it has to be said, Sevilla weren't pushing too hard at that point of the game. They kind of given up and didn't create too many chances for him to actually prove himself. But he did remind me a bit of Todibo, and he was quite confident in those minutes. And I think he could be a very interesting player for Barca in the future. But we'll need to see him for more minutes to actually be able to judge him properly. Now, let's talk Celta Vigo with Ian Morris, the man behind the Celta USA account on Twitter. Celta earned a really important home victory over Athletic Club, winning 1-0 thanks to an Iago Aspas goal. This was just the second win of the season for Celta, but they have had to play some very difficult teams already. Considering how tough the early part of the schedule has been, Ian, are you happy with nine points from eight matches? 
In a vacuum, nine points after eight games, considering the quality of teams that Celtics had to face at the beginning of the season, it's not terrible. Uh, it's it's not great either. Uh, but you know, having hosted teams like Real Madrid, Valencia, Athletic, uh, an upstart Granada team, as well as going on the road to play teams like Atletico as well as Sevilla, I think the frustration stems more from the fact. Not that Celta drew against Sevilla and Atletico on the road, which, you know, is a result that you can't be upset with, nor that they lost at home to Real Madrid, but the fact that they've dropped points in games that people think that they should have won. You know, for example, um, going on the road last weekend in Eibar and losing 2 to nothing, um, Celta fans weren't happy with that, and I think the same could be said for drawing at home against Espanyol and also the, the game against Renata at home. Um, I think the nine points after eight games would hurt less if it hadn't been the fact that it seems like so many opportunities for more points hadn't been dropped. Speaking specifically about this match, what did you think about the tactics? It was almost a front three because Dennis Suarez got forward so much. I think one positive thing that you have to take is that we saw Celta stretch out a little bit more on the field and kind of find a bit more of a connection between its midfielders and its attacking players. Um, you know, you, you, you ask about Danny Suarez playing more up front, almost as if he were a third forward. And I think that's something that Celta was missing earlier in the season. Uh, Danny is a player who, who has the ability to make a difference up front. But since Fran Escriba is such a, a follower of the 4-4-2 system, we often saw him dropping back and playing, many would argue, too far back, which kind of made it difficult for Santi Mina and Iago Aspas to find space. Ian, where do you think Rafinha fits into the Celta Vigo side? So Rafinha was kind of a surprise signing, I would almost say, at the end of the summer transfer window. I got to Celta at the beginning of the month of September, uh, was injured for his first game since joining uh, the Sky Blues, but after that uh, became kind of an undisputed starter in the eleven. And, you know, it's easy to see why. Um, he's a very talented midfielder with attacking qualities, that I think fits very well with players like Yago Aspas, Santimina up front. And, you know, him on the having him on the right side plus Denny Suarez on the left side gives Celta's attack a bit of balance that I think that um, maybe the staff wasn't so convinced that Bryce Mendes, despite, despite his talent, uh, would be able to do this season. So we've seen him play well since joining Celta. Perhaps this game against Athletic wasn't his best. Um, but, you know, I think his role in the Celta team will be to kind of be that link between the midfield and the attacking players like Mina and Aspas, and to an extent, Denis Suarez. Uh, he's going to need to be a link because, you know, when you look at a guy like Okayo Kuslu and a guy like Stan Lobotka, they don't necessarily have the best ability to link up with attackers. And I think Rafinha's role on this team, even though he is a bit limited by being uh, stuck to the right side, will be kind of to facilitate that connection. Um, will he be an undisputed starter in the future? I'm not sure. You know, Bryce Mendes is a very talented player. We've seen him de debut with Spain's national team already. And, you know, he's young, he's still learning. And I think it'll be good for him and, and, and Rafinha to challenge each other uh, to kind of maintain maintain their, their place in the starting eleven. And if one ends up falling out of that starting 11, it's a great option for Celta to have on the bench, right? Uh, being able to put a player like um, Rafinha or Bryce Mendes into the game about two-thirds of the way through really gives Celta a nice wrinkle 
Aspas got his first goal of the season in this one, but generally he hasn't looked like the Aspas of the final few months of last year. Why do you think that is? It's definitely true that the Aspas that we've seen over the first eight games of the season isn't the one that we saw down the stretch last year, when he was seemingly scoring a goal every weekend to almost single-handedly bring Celta back from the brink of relegation. Aspas looks to be a bit frustrated um, in a couple of ways. First of all, I think that Fran Escribas' system isn't necessarily the best for him. Uh, he's playing kind of in a position where he's not used to being with Santi Mina alone up front, not really having as much interaction with midfielders as he normally does, and I think that's bothering him a bit. And also I think the fact that, you know, Iago Aspas has been the star of Celta over the past few seasons. And now this year, he finds himself in a team that's added players of the caliber of a Santimina, of a Denis Suarez, of a Rafinha, and he's not used to it. He's not used to sharing the ball and to having attacking options like the ones he does this year. And I think that's been a bit of an adjustment for him. Uh, hopefully the goal that he scored against Athletic this weekend will help him kind of get over that mental block that he's had and finally get back into goal scoring form, which would just be huge for the Celta side, uh, which curiously has had its biggest problems this year, scoring. Uh, and and when have we ever seen that from Celta? So uh, yeah, it's, it's really crucial that Aspas finds a way to be comfortable playing with the other players in the starting 11 and gets back to beating Iago Aspas because that is the most important thing for Celta. Thanks for that, Ian. Next, we move on to the only goalless draw of the weekend, but it was a goalless draw that throws up so many talking points. You can feel the tension in the stands. Sandro focuses. It's Oblak to beat. No easy task. Even from the spot, Sandro puts it way over the crossbar. For the fourth time in their past five La Liga matches, Atletico Madrid failed to score a goal and they drew 0-0 against Real Valladolid. It could have been even worse for Diego Simeone's side as Sandro had a first half penalty but he skied it over the bar to mean he hasn't scored in any of his past 53 matches. Not since November of 2017 has Sandro found the back of the net and yes, he is a centre forward. But focusing on Atletico, they have their own goal scoring issues. Diego Costa just doesn't look like the player he was. Marata can be impactful, but he's been injured, suspended, and on Sunday he was kicked out of the game. And Joao Felix is still young. Atletico have just seven goals so far this La Liga season. That's the sixth fewest in the division. What Atletico really need is someone like Antoine Griezmann. I know that when he departed Atletico Madrid, that a lot of Atleti fans tried to find a silver lining to the situation. That's what you do when you face a setback. You try to convince yourself that it might actually be for the best and that the negative could be if you squint your eyes just enough a positive. That's what Letty fans did with Griezmann, trying to convince themselves that there could be addition by subtraction, that his absence could free up space both physically and emotionally for others to blossom. But let's cut to the chase. Atletico Madrid miss Griezmann. We've spoken about two vast defeats already as Alaves and Atletico Club finished the round pointless. There wasn't much joy elsewhere in the Basque country. At Real Sociedad, they went ahead very early on against Atafi thanks to Mikel Marino and it seemed like the Real Sociedad hype train was full steam ahead. But a red card right at the beginning of the second half for Diego Llorente afforded Atafi an opportunity and they took it. First time Imata and then Nemanja Maximovic with the goals to make it a 2-1 win 
for the Madrid side. Ibar, meanwhile, this will be the happiest Basque side of the weekend as they drew 1-1 away at Real Betis on Friday night. They'll still be a little disappointed though as they were leading through a Fabian Oriana penalty. But Lorraine Moron scored one in the second half to put himself joint top of the La Liga scoring charts with Gerard Moreno and Karim Benzema. Real Betis had two further goals ruled out for offside, so Eibar were clinging on at the end. They'll be the happier side of that point compared to Real Betis though. That's us covered all 10 of this weekend's matches then. Thanks to Paco Pollitt, Roman de Arquer, Ian Morris and Nacho Torney. This has been your La Liga lowdown. There's international fixtures next weekend, so our next La Liga match day recap will be in two Mondays time. We hope you'll join us then and thanks for joining us this week.